a spare tire, a plan B, an insurance policy. That's what the Church of Galatia was clinging to when they chose legalism instead of fully trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Through the Bible. Our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, is our teacher, of course, and I'm Steve Schwetz, and I want to welcome you aboard the Bible bus as we learn to throw away all of our useless life preservers and trust in the only thing that can save us, and that's a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Today, we'll begin in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, so grab your Bible and find your seat, and while you do that, let's hear from a few of our fellow passengers. First, we got an email from Nancy in Ellsworth, Maine. I am constantly amazed at how God is working to accomplish his purpose of getting the world to know him and his love for them. Each day as I receive the World Prayer Team email, I extend that prayer for the people that you have mentioned and for how it applies to people and situations around me. I could go on and on about what I'm learning, but I would run out of time and computer ink as I shared all that God is doing in my life. There really are not enough books to tell all that Jesus did back then and what he is doing today. Praise to our living God. Well, that is so true, Nancy. Thanks for being a part of our world prayer team. Now, here's a letter. This is from Thomas in Garden City, Idaho. Thank you for the world prayer team. It's inspiring to listen to the stories of the people who are afraid or cannot openly share their faith, and yet they're clinging to Jesus with their lives, trusting that no matter what, he will bring them through. God bless you for carrying on Dr. McGee's vision, and God bless the World Prayer Team. I've lived in small towns in Montana and Nevada and could only pick up through the Bible on occasions when I traveled to the big cities. I'm older, so I didn't know about these newfangled iPads and iPhones, but I finally figured them out, and now I listen to your podcasts. I am continually surprised that although Dr. McGee left this earth many years ago, his messages are still so relevant to our world today. But the one thing that doesn't surprise me is that the truth that he teaches, the Word of God, is just as much alive today as when it was given to us by the Father. Our God is timeless. God bless you all. You are in my prayers daily. Man, those are such great letters. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thomas. And I'm glad that you got that technology thing figured out. It's great to have you aboard with us regularly. If you'd like to join Nancy, Thomas, me, and thousands of other Through the Bible listeners as we pray for God's whole word to reach his whole world, then you need to sign up today for our world prayer team. Just go to ttb.org forward slash pray. You'll be glad you did. And tell us your story too, won't you? You know, 2 Corinthians 3, 3 says that each of us is a love letter from God to the world, a living endorsement to the Lord. So don't be shy. Email us today at BibleBus at ttb.org and tell us what he's doing in your life. Or you can always send your letter to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. You can also leave us a message at 1-800-65-BIBLE. And remember, telling your story of God's work through his word is a privilege and it's powerful. We'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather around your word. As we study, Lord, help us to see the glory of Jesus and then to put our entire trust and faith in him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now let's dive into Galatians 4 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, as we come back to the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Galatians, I'd like to just back up a little and highlight some of the things that we went over rather hurriedly last time. And I want to go all the way back to verse 9, for instance. 
He says there, "...but now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage." Known of God means actually approved of God, are to be acknowledged of God. In other words, they have now come to Christ through faith, and God accepts that. Now, he says that you've gone into the law, for most of them were Gentile believers, you've gone into the law, and that's just like going back to the idolatry, he says, that you've come out of. Turning to law is the same as going back to idolatry. And then he says in verse 10, you observe days. Well, the days are the Sabbath days. Paul, you remember, said to the Colossians in 2.16, see that no one judge you in respect to a Sabbath day. Well, I am not judged in that only by the Lord Jesus. Very frankly, I'm making this tape on a Sunday morning. I have very few Sundays now that I'm not preaching. And when I'm not preaching, I love to come down to the radio headquarters. No one is here. And I just sit here in my study, as I'm doing right now, and I make this tape, and it blesses my own heart, my own life. And this here means I'm not observing any days. You observe days and months. Now, months here means like the new moons that they were observing in that day. And you remember, they did it in the time of the kings, and the prophets warned them against them. And it says, and times, rather seasons, and that means the feasts. And God had given them seven feasts, but they all had pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in years, and years, of course, would refer to the sabbatic years. In other words, that would put them completely back under the law. And very frankly, if you're going to adopt a Sabbath day today, that is Saturday, and observe it, then you ought to take the whole ball of wax, which would include a sabbatic year, would include the new moon and months, you see. And it would include also the year of Jubilee. All of that comes in the same package, and it's very difficult to take something out and not take all of it if you're going to take the law. James, you remember, said, you break it in one little point, you're guilty of all of it. That is, you're guilty of being a lawbreaker. Now, in verse 12, he says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all. And the American Standard Version here of 19.1 has it like this. I beseech you, brethren, become as I am, for I also am become as ye are. In other words, Paul says, we're all on the same plane. We're all believers, and we're all in the body of Christ. And in view of that, we ought to be very polite one with another. Paul uses utmost politeness in this strong language, you see. He's being very polite. And I'd like to say today to many folk who listen to our program and they continue to listen, you can disagree with me, and very frankly, and I wouldn't want you to let this out. I hope you won't tell anybody this. We'll keep it a secret. I could be wrong on many places. And I find out as I go along today that I'm learning new things every day about the Word of God. And I'm just a learner, and I don't claim to be any more than that. And I feel like that we ought to be polite when we disagree. Now, you can disagree with me, and I can disagree with you. And I may state my position very strongly because I have real convictions. I determined a long time ago when I was in college and a liberal professor was pulling the rug out from under me, 
he's about to undermine me. And I found out later on that he wasn't quite the boy that he gave out that he was. In fact, I found out he's not quite the scholar that he was impressing us with. And I found out many things about him afterward. But he almost took the rug out from under me. And I told the Lord then, I said, I want to get out of the ministry because I don't want to go into it with any reservations. And I have made many mistakes, but I've never stood in a pulpit and had a reservation about that which I was preaching. I believed it with all my heart. And you want to know something right now, friends? I'm telling you exactly what I believe about the Word of God. Some man says, you're just giving the interpretation of J. Vernon McGee. You want to know something? You're right. That's the only interpretation I know is that. The Spirit of God has to teach me as it teach anyone else. And I have a conviction about it until I'm shown otherwise. And I want to make that very clear. And so Paul here uses utmost politeness in this very strong language. And then he goes on. I drop down now to verse 14. In my temptation, which was in my flesh, it means the trial or the thorn in the flesh. And this is just a suggestion again. I believe it was eye trouble that he had. And I think as he stood up, probably pus ran down from his eyes. And that was repugnant. You can understand it would be. Paul understood that. And he said, though they loved him. They loved the word. And the Corinthians, he could say the same thing to them, you know. They loved him. And even in spite of his infirmity that was in the flesh. Now, will you notice here in verses 17 and 18, and I probably ought to do something today that I did not do before, and that is I probably ought to go to the American Revised Version, or the American Standard Version, I should say, of 19.1 that I have here before me. And if you bear with me while I find this passage, and I'm turning to the fourth chapter, verse 17 and 18 in Galatians. Now listen to this. They zealously seek you in no good way. Nay, they desire to shut you out, that ye may seek them. But it is good to be zealously sought in a good matter at all times, and not only when I am present with you. Paul says that you ought to seek that which is the very best. But these Judaizers, they're after you. In other words, they want to scalp you and just put the scalp in their belt and be able to say, well, we were over at Galatians and we had so many converts, which, of course, would actually not be true at all. And as I said a moment ago about the Galatian epistle, well, Paul has something along this same line to say to the Corinthians. And that's over in 2 Corinthians 11. And I'd like to read that beginning at verse 12 there. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them that desire an occasion, that wherein they glory they may be found, even as we. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, fashioning themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for even Satan fashioneth himself into an angel of light. It is no great thing Therefore, if his ministers also fashion themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You see, this same crowd had gone to Corinth, the Corinthians, and loved Paul also. 
And Paul has to warn them of these. They're attractive. And I'm amazed at the very fine presentation that the cults make. I watch TV on some of these programs put out by cults. And we have done a certain amount of TV work. And very frankly, the job they do professionally is perfection. But that's the subtle part about it. Everything is attractive. Everything is beautiful to look at. And the ones that are in it are very attractive individuals. And that's what it takes, of course, to put it over. And actually, there is a certain amount of truth. I heard one man who's in a cult, who's actually a liberal, give the Christmas story back at Christmas time. And believe me, no one could have told it any better than he did. And he did a most excellent job. But then he began to interpret it. And I came out with the idea that he didn't even believe in the virgin birth, which I'm confident that he didn't. You see that today, the warning of Paul, both to the Galatians here and to the Corinthians, is very much in order. And you can see why. I would go back over this because it's very important. Now, Paul has a very tender heart, and he likens himself to a mother. Listen to him in verse 19. My little children my little born ones, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now, he is speaking to those who are born again, and I don't think he's questioning that. But Paul here wanted to be present with him. And he says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. He wanted to be present so he could speak differently. He was concerned. He's using strong language here. But you can see the tender heart of the man. Now, the whole fact of the matter is, they really had not heard the law. Verse 21, he says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye hear the law? And this day, I would like for you to hear the law. Because a great many today that always talking about the Ten Commandments are talking about some legal system. They don't seem to give the penalty. They don't seem to present the law in its full orb ministration of condemnation. Now, when God called Moses to the mountain to give the law, have you ever noticed the background of it? In Exodus, the 19th chapter, verse 16, listen to this. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And... God says, stand afar off. Now, do you want to know further about the outcome of the law? Look at the 20th chapter. Just turn the page 
verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we'll hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. May I say to you, you and I today cannot conceive how holy God is. And you and I are renegades in God's universe. We are revolutionaries in God's universe. You and I are in a position of not obeying God. We are in the position of being lost sinners in God's universe with no capacity to follow God at all. And he says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God. My friend, this world is against God. It's not for God. This world's not getting better at all. This world is becoming more evil each day, and it's been pretty bad since the days God put Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. For it's not subject. The carnal mind, he says, is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. No wonder those people trembled and moved away from the mount and said, we'll die. Why, my friend, God is high and holy and lifted up. And he dwells in glory. And you and I are down here making mud pies in a world because we are made out of mud physically. And we walk down here as creatures that have the audacity to walk contrary to the will of God. And we don't even have the ability to. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, my friend, may I say to you, that's the position of man down here in this world. Now, Paul says, listen to the law. You haven't even heard it yet. And if you listen to it, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law. Do you hear the law? Have you really heard it? Do you know what it says? What it's written. Now he begins here that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid, the one by a free maid. And he says, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. Now the law of that day, the code of Hammurabi in Abraham's day, said that a son of a slave woman is a slave. So that Ishmael was born a slave in the home of Abraham, though he was a son of Abraham. But he of the free woman was by promise. Now you see that Isaac was a miracle child. That is, his birth was miraculous. Abraham could not have a son. And Paul says in Romans that the womb of Sarah was dead. That is, she just couldn't have a child. The womb of Sarah was a tomb. And out of death, God brought life, if you please. The birth of Isaac was not only a birth, it was a resurrection. And it was miraculous. Now, Paul makes a contrast here between the two. He says, which things are, that is, Paul is going to draw a lesson from it. It contains an allegory, for these are the two covenants. Now, what are the two covenants? The one from Mount Sinai, the law, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. And he compares Hagar to Mount Sinai, the law. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Now, Jerusalem here is the earthly Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, 
which is the mother of us all. And that Jerusalem is the new Jerusalem that's presented to us in the 20th chapter of Revelation that comes down from God out of heaven. For it's written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. And actually, from Isaac there came more than ever came from Hagar, of course. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now, our birth is a new birth. And that birth comes about by the fact God is promised. Where? John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him... God says, if you'll trust him, you'll be born again. Born not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Of the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it's now. And my friend, legalism hates the gospel. The gospel of the free grace of God. Legalism hates it. And you'll get in trouble. When I first started in the ministry, first ordained, an elder came to me one day after I'd preached a sermon on prophecy. And I said, you know, prophecy will get you in trouble. And he said to me, now, Vernon, you're mistaken. Preaching prophecy will never get you in trouble. It'll get you a good crowd, generally. People like to hear prophecy. But he says, if you preach the grace of God, you're going to get in trouble. Now, that's the reason today the gospel is trimmed as it is. I don't mean to complain, but I hear very little gospel in these days. I mean of the pure grace of God, and I know why. Because you get clubbed on the head. You'll be surprised the number of letters I'm going to get from this broadcast today. People say, now, wait a minute. You are to do something else. My friend, you got everything that God has to offer you in Jesus Christ. If I may use the common colloquialism, you get the whole ball of wax when you come to Christ and accept him. Don't tell me I have to seek something after I've been saved from some other source. For instance, even the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us. And that's what it means to call Christ a curse. To come and tell me that I have to do something or go through something or seek something that I did not get when I came and trusted Jesus Christ. Listen to him. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it's now. The natural man hates the gospel of the grace of God. It's in us to hate it because it doesn't require anything of us. It glorifies Christ and turns our eyes to him. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And God is saying to you and me today, you get rid of every bit of your legalism and put all the emphasis on Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And I'd ask you in closing, have you really trusted Christ? Are you carrying a spare tire on your little omnibus that today you feel like that you're doing something or being something or trying to attain to something adds to what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? If you do, forget it and look to Christ alone and receive everything from him. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. 
He's our God. He is to receive all praise and all glory. All right, we're going to leave off there. Not moving very fast here, but this is important, friends. Oh, how important this section is. So until next time, may the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Now, although Dr. McGee says we're not moving very fast through Galatians, we are covering a lot of important ground, aren't we? Well, to get the most out of these studies, visit ttb.org and download our new Bible companion for Galatians. And while you're there, you'll also want to read through our July newsletter that contains articles from Dr. McGee as well as tips to help each of you go deeper in your own study of God's Word and then specific ways that you can pray for God's people around the world. Check it out yourself and then sign up to receive our newsletter each month at ttb.org or call us 1-800-65-BIBLES-A-NUMBER. Now, as we take a break from our daily studies, why don't you join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon from Galatians 5, Fruit, More Fruit, Much Fruit. To listen, you can download our app or visit ttb.org for more options. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.